For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. For new people, I'm Tygen Layton, the guiding teacher at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. I want to speak uh, today about one of our uh, primary texts, uh, the Song of the Grass Hut. The last couple of weeks, we spoke about the harmony of difference and sameness, Sandokai. Both are by Shito or Sekito, uh, who lived in China. Uh, 700 to 790, um, and is uh, one of the major uh, ancestors in our uh, lineage called Soto in Japan and America. Um, and uh, this text, Song of the Grass Hut, many of you know very well, but for new people, I'd like to start by just chanting it. So it's on page nine of our chant book, and uh, if you can put projected for people online. So we're just going to chant. This is, we will be chanting this later as part of our service with offerings and <coughs> vows. And, and, and I just want to chant it now for information. So I'll announce it and then, um, yeah, we'll just chant it. Song of the grass I built a grass where there's nothing of value. After eating, I relax and enjoy the nap. When it was completed, fresh weeds appeared. Now it's been lived in, covered by weeds. The person in the hut lives here calmly, not stuck to inside, outside, or in between. Places worldly people live, he doesn't live. Realms worldly people love, she doesn't love. Though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. In ten feet square, an old man illumines forms and their nature. A Mahayana Bodhisattva trusts without doubt. The middling or lowly can't help wondering, will this hut perish or not? Perishable or not, the original master is present, not dwelling south or north, east or west. Firmly based on steadiness, it can't be surpassed. A shining window below the green pines, Jade palaces or vermilion towers can't compare with it. Just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus this mountain monk doesn't understand it all. Living here, he no longer works to get free. Who would proudly arrange sheets trying to entice guests? Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. The vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. Meet the ancestral teachers, be familiar with their instructions, bind grasses to build a hut and don't give up, let go of hundreds of years and relax completely, open your hands and walk innocent, thousands of words, myriad interpretations are only to free you from obstructions. If you want to know the undying person in the hut, don't separate from this skin bag here and now. So thank you all. And I meant to say this before we started chanting, but our form for, uh, uh, this is for people 
here in Zendo, but also the people online. Our form for uh, using our chat books is to hold it like this with three fingers, three uh, on the outside and two inside. Please don't bend it back. And also, uh, please don't just lay it on the ground. Uh, so anyway, this is the form in which we hold the templates. So I just wanted to mention that. So all of our forms are just to uh, help us harmonize uh, together in Zonga. Uh, so uh, again, the harmony of difference and sameness or Sando Kai, we talked about the last couple of weeks. Um, and both that and this song of the grass hut we just uh, chanted are by uh, Shito Kisen in Japanese, uh, Shito, uh, sorry, Sekito Kisen in Japanese, Shito Shishang in uh, Chinese, a very important, one of our important ancestors, uh, a few generations before the formal founder of the Soto or Saogong ancestor lineage in uh, China, Dongshan. So um, I want to talk about just a few parts of this uh, this chant. Um, so actually, the idea of a grass hut on in Japanese is uh, part of the Zen tradition for uh, people who were hermits, but also often the abbot has a, a hermitage. It's called a it's called an odd or hermitage or grass hut even though sometimes they're very elaborate. Uh, Shito himself had a large monastery where he uh, instructed many people, but he also built, it's hard to see in this picture, but somebody from San Francisco Zen Center went to where his, I'll hold it up for the online people and pass it around. This is actually the big rock where his hut was away from his main monastery, a kind of retreat space. So pass that around. Uh, it's not much to see now, it's overgrown. Uh, as he says, um, <laughs> at, uh, now it's been lived in and covered by weeds. Well, it has not been lived in for a long time, but it's, the rock is still there. His name could be translated as On the Rock. <laughs> so uh, he was named for this hut. Um, so again, I just want to focus on a, a few lines in this, in this chant. Uh, I'll just start at the beginning. I built a grass hut where there's nothing of value. After eating, I relax and enjoy a nap. So uh, there's a, a feeling of um, regular, everyday, ca casual, almost, practice. Of course, uh, Shuto was a, a strict Zen teacher also, and had many disciples. Uh, but with, And so the, he built this hut and practiced there, and there's a tradition of many great uh, Soto ancestors, uh, Ryokan in the 19th century, going back to Hanshan in China, who lived in, in hermitages and grass huts, uh, and practiced on their own, so to speak, or had connections with a nearby monastery, but kind of lived in as somewhat of a recluse. Um, and as I said, sometimes in Japan there are these ponds or, or hermitages which are quite elaborate <laughs> and harsh. Anyway, um, he says, 
when it was completed, fresh weeds appeared. Now it's been lived and covered by weeds. So uh, again, this, this informal feeling of uh, this actual, you can see in, in uh, China and Japan now still, uh, buildings with thatched grass uh, roofs, uh, it's hard to do that now because it's too expensive to build them, but they're not kept up so well. But anyway, uh, it, he says the person in the hut lives here calmly, not stuck to inside, outside, and in between. And the places where we people live, he doesn't live. So part of this, uh, part of the energy of this chant is this uh, it comes in later to turn within, to turn away from the values of the world, to take the backward step that turns the light inwardly to illuminate the self is one way it's described. This, this is a meditation hut. Um, he says, though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. The ten feet square and all the man alumnus forms and their nature. So this is this this uh, song, this this poem is about the space of practice. Whether it's a formal zendo like this, or a large a temple, or a space where you uh, do sit and practice in your home. Just a place where you can put a cushion or chair and face the wall. This is a, this is a instructions really about the space of zazen, the space of our meditation, the space of practice. It's not stuck to inside, outside, or in between. It's not part of one of those categories. And it's not about worldly values. No one's worldly people alone, she doesn't love. Uh, but this is, this is important. Though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. So here's Abutan, you know, this smaller chair. Um, and yet, as we sit upright, the formal zazen, the whole world is here. Each of us, as we are sitting, are the product of many causes and conditions. Everybody we have ever met is part of what is sitting on your seat. We don't re we don't remember them all. People we maybe met casually or who we didn't even meet are part of how we are, who we who we is. So, um, yeah, um, the entire world is here, and that's an, an important part of our practice. We sit upright, we emphasize posture, uh, we sit with this hand mudra, uh, and everything is right here. So our practice body is inclusive. All of our experiences are part of how we are right now. Um, so he says, a Mahayana Bodhisattva trusts without doubt, and we're all doing this Bodhisattva practice, practicing to help awaken all beings. He says, the middling or lowly can't help wondering, will this hut perish or not? Perishable or not, the original master is present. So I want to talk about that line. That line didn't, has not seemed that important to me when I've, I've talked about this, this text. Many times, but I want to emphasize that line today. 
perishable or not, the original master is present. We can't actually get a hold of our identity as if there was one identity. We are a product of everything. And, you know, perishable or not. So we take care of our sangha and our sangha space and uh, try and keep it, maintain it. But whether we can, another, one, another important text of ours says, uh, turning away and touching are both wrong. We can't get a hold of it and we can't avoid it. So this original master is present is in some ways the heart of our practice. So the original master might refer to Shakyamuni Buddha, who started this practice 2,500 years ago uh, in what's now northeastern India, Nepal, uh, uh, but the original master refers to may refer to Shakyamuni, but it's something deeper. When we set up a place to practice, Buddha is there. And not just Shakyamuni, but the Buddhas before Buddha, and the Dharmakaya Vairochana, the, the Buddha that is the awakened aspect of everything in the whole world. Everybody we know, even the people who uh, we don't like or who give us difficulties, and not just the people. The trees, the lake, uh, the grasses, the carpet, cushions or chairs. The original master is present when we set up a practice place, whether it's a formal zendo like this, or just a space that you use in your house to do this practice. Maybe every day or at least several times a week. The original master is present. This original master, and uh, you know, we have there. There are aspects of the word master in English that maybe we might um, question, but fundamental teacher, fundamental teaching, the awakening of everything is present in our practice and in our practice place. This is what a practice place, a temple, and something is about. So we have particular ways. One of the uh, things that priests do is to know how to set up a practice place. There are particular forms and the way that the altar is arranged and the cushions are arranged. And, you know, there's a particular structure, and it has to adapt to the various spaces we're in. So this. This room, which is our zendo, has a little recess back there, so we don't use that space. But the main point, the original teacher, the original teaching, the fundamental reality, the truth, is present. Whether, whether, whether things are, per everything is perishable, you know. Um, we, we lost our temple space the beginning of COVID after 15 years. Um, so we're still, you know, in recovery in some ways from the pandemic. Uh, 
perishable or not. Everything is in some ways perishable and in some ways not. Something remains. Lawrence Capwell was here, maybe it's a month ago now, talking about seeds. And all of our practice is about planting seeds. So we're not just practicing, this is not a self-help technique. Of course it does benefit us to do this practice, but it's not about us, it's about how do we maintain this space of practice? How do we maintain the fundamental teaching, the original master, as this trans imperfect translation says? It's a perfect translation I did myself. Anyway, um, Buddha is here. When we sit upright, enjoy our breath, feel our inhale and exhale. Allow thoughts and feelings to pass by. We don't have to try and grab a hold of them. We don't have to push them away. So I'll talk more about that in another teaching from Chateau's uh, after talking about this song. Um, but it's great that we still have the lyrics. Um, the melody has been lost, but uh, I've said this before about Song of the Brass Hut and the Song of the Joel Mary Samadhi. If there's any musicians here and you want to put music to this song, uh, please let us know. Um, the fundamental teaching, the original master, is present in any practice place. That's what it means for to be a practice place. And every place we go, not just in the Zendo, but as we leave and walk around and uh, take care of our lives and our families and friends and our work and all of that here in Chicago or uh, I see people from Michigan and New Mexico and you know various places. Um, um, when we are breathing and in, in, informed by our experience of this practice, the original teaching, the original teaching, the fundamental teaching is present. In this space, we are informed by being. Uh, it goes on to say, firmly based on steadiness, it can't be surpassed. Shining window below the green pines, jade palaces of Ammonian towers can't compare with it. That's a ref that's a kind of classical Chinese reference to a, a place of study of a uh, somebody living in a hut, a shining window below the beaten pines. The next line is one of, also one of the very important lines here. Just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. So this just sitting with head covered. Actually, literally, that image is of Bodhidharma, the the uh, Indian master who came to China as and is considered the founder of Chan Zen. He went up, he, he, he had a conversation with the emperor and then left, and then went up to this cave in northern China where it was pretty cold. And images of him often, there's this quilt covering his head. So there's this literal reference. And actually when I was uh, practicing in a monastery in Japan, they have a quilt and you can put it over your head in the early morning sitting. But the point is, just sitting, head covered, 
they're not, um, the practice is not about, you know, what you think it is. <laughs> Head covered metaphorically is uh, letting go of your idea and your thoughts. Doesn't mean you try and get rid of thoughts, but that's not what's important. Just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. So one aspect of this practice, of course, is just calming, steadiness, letting all things be at rest, letting all things be as they are. That's one side. The other side is that we try and respond and be helpful and have a sense of the spaciousness of everything. But first, we take the backward step, we turn away. Um, that's coming up in a few lines. But thus this mountain monk, Chateau referred to himself, uh, doesn't understand at all. It's not about his practice and, and these teachings are not about getting some particular understanding or some particular special state of mind. Actually, it's okay if you have some good understanding of the teaching. And, you know, it happens that people have experiences of kind of altered states of mind or beyond our usual conventional way of being and thinking. So that happens. Uh, but the point isn't to, to get a hold of some understanding. The point is just to keep, just to continue this practice regularly, over time, day after day, or well, at least several days of the week, and to just sit with head covered and let, allow all things to be at rest. So a couple lines later, it, this is another key line, turn around the light to shine within, then just return. In some ways, this is the entire, this, this single line encompasses all of those factors. Turn around the light to shine with it. That's a traditional meditation instruction. One of his uh, essays, Dogen says, take the backward step to turn the light inwardly to illuminate yourself. Uh, Shuto's version here is, is Dogen is much later in the 1200s in Japan, but um, Shuto just says it very concisely here. Turn around the light to shine again. But then just return. So the point of our practice is not to reach some special state of mind or experience. Uh, even though that happens, then just return. We come back to our life, our ordinary, conventional life, our uh, practice in the world, our relationship with, with uh, partners, with family, with children, with parents, with our work situation with neighbors, with Chicago or wherever you're living, and just uh, return. So we, so uh, our whole practice is about this turning around the light to shine within, and then returning. The Oxford pictures made this example. We come back to our everyday life in the world. So this dynamic of turning within, facing ourselves, seeing all our interested karma, seeing something deeper, this original master, this original fundamental teaching that is always present, getting glimpses of it, because we can't get a hold of it. 
and we can't define it. It's beyond our powers of conceptualization. It is covered. But then, just returns. We live in this world, and we respect this world, and we take care of this world. So, uh, very important line. One of the wonderful lines in all of this text. Turn around one to shine it in, then just return. But, uh, I would go back and add, perishable or not, the fundamental teaching is present. Buddha is here. Once we come into this room, take a seat, face the wall or face each other as we are now, Buddha's here. Oh, and then after, then just return, it says, it makes it explicitly, Shuto says, the vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. We can't get a hold of it and we can't avoid it. Can't be faced or turned away from. And this vast inconceivable source, this is, uh, Shuto uses this, this metaphor of the source, and a lot of Zen uh, texts talk about the source. And it doesn't mean like the source of creation back in the Garden of Eden or something like that, or you know, in some, you know, when the, at the Big Bang, or you know, it's right now. The source is always right now. As we turn within and face ourselves, face up, inhale and exhale, and enjoy just being here, paying attention, but not trying to figure anything out. We can't, it, it's always right here, this vast inconceivable source. So the source is not something historical. The source is, you know, it happens, so this is one kind of meditation instruction, you know, that sometimes you can follow a stream of thought back to a source. Oh, where did I start thinking about that? You can, you know, spend time during long meditation retreats uh, doing that. But the source is always here. And the fundamental teaching and the original teacher is always here. This is our understanding. So, Shuto goes on to say, meet the ancestral teachers, be familiar with their instructions, find grasses to build a hut and don't give up. So, find grasses to build a hut means find, make a space to practice. So we've done that here in Lincoln Square. This is our grass hut. And don't give up. And sometimes it's boring, and sometimes we have pain in our knees or our back or our shoulders or something. Or sometimes there's some pain in our heart, some problem in our life, or some problem this week that's, that haunts us, that is difficult. But don't give up. Once we build this space of practice, once you take on this practice of being upright and present, and enjoying your inhale and exhale, fundamental teaching, the original master, the original teacher is present. So, um, he says, don't give up. And he says, let go. <laughs> let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. We've been talking about that somewhere. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely is a reference to, you know, which we will chant during our regular service. All our ancient twisted karma from beginning of greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, are now fully aroused. A big part of our practice is just to acknowledge and witness to 
all of the stuff, all of our habits, all of our particular, each of us has our own particular pattern of grasping or anger or confusion. Uh, and the more we sit, it comes up sometimes, and uh, it's not about getting rid of it. It's about witnessing it and becoming intimate with ourselves, studying ourselves, <clears throat> finding this space where the original teaching is present. So, if the ancestral teachers be familiar with their instructions, buying grasses to build a hut and don't give up, let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. So, you know, when people walk into a Zen meditation hall and see all these people sitting up, they look like they're stiff, you know, sitting upright, straight, <laughs> especially during a long retreat. Um, people don't realize that what this practice is about is to relax completely. How do we relax our minds? How do we relax all of the difficulties in our life and in our troubled world and in our collapsing civilization and, and all of that? Uh, how do we just meet this experience? And then we return and respond when we, when we can see some way to respond. And you know, many people here are doing work responding to the difficulties of the world. But we do it from this place of settling, of turning the light to shine within, not giving up. So it says, like he says, let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Oh, let go. Oh, uh, let open your hands and walk innocent. What's the name of Uchiyama Roshi's book? Opening the hand of thought. Yeah. So we let we. You know, it's not that we get rid of thinking and thoughts. That's part of Ushiyama Roshi, who's a great Japanese teacher in the last century, said, as we're sitting, our stomach continues to secrete digestive juices. As we're sitting, our brain continues to secrete thoughts. So it's not about having a blank mind. It's not the point. But how do we sit calmly in the midst of the whirlpool of sometimes monkey mind and lots of thoughts? Sometimes... Let's start just enjoying. Inhale and exhale. Open your hands and walk innocent. Relax completely. Open your hands and walk innocent. And then Shito concludes thousands of words, varied interpretations are only to free you from obstructions. So, as I've said many times, uh, all of these wonderful Dharma teachings, all of these great sutras and great Zen dialogues and stories and great soft great practice texts like this one. Uh, it's not about studying them so you have some great understanding. It's about um, freeing you from obstructions, encouraging practice. So each of these texts that we study and there are, there are many uh, Dharma texts, truth texts, teaching texts that we do, that we can study and they can be helpful. But the point of them is to just let go and relax completely.
to encourage our practice. The end is, if you want to know the undying person in the hut, the person on your seat, the person in the sendo, the person that is, who, who is supposedly you, <laughs> um, the person who, who, with whom the original teacher, the fundamental teaching the teacher is present, whether it's perishable or not, undying person. He says, just don't separate from this skin bag here and now. This skin bag, it's a funny expression. And I remember one of uh, our great early practitioners here at Ancient Dragons and got very upset when she heard this, I'm not a skin bag. <laughs> she really had a problem with this, this this word. We ended up talking about it a lot <laughs> in the talks. Uh, anyway, it's just, a, it's just a slang slogan in Zen for this body mind. Don't separate from it here and now. Be present with our experience, with our life, with our world and its troubles, and the pains in our knees or our shoulders or wherever, or our heart. Just don't run away from yourself. Great artist, Zen artist and translator, just had his 90th birthday, old friend Kaz Tanahashi. When he was at our urban park, Zendo once was asked, what, can you sum up Zen in one word? Kind of a pertinent question. And he just said, non-separation. So that's pretty good. Um, don't separate. Don't run away from yourself. When I left Tassahara after my Dharma transmission, three-week ceremony there, my teacher said as I was in the vehicle getting ready to get back over the road and say, don't run away from yourself. <laughs> don't separate from your skin back here and now. So there's a, uh, uh, so this is companion piece to the harmony of difference and sameness, which we've been speaking of some the last couple of weeks, Sando Kai, Sino-Japanese, which we also chant a lot, which is more like the, the dialectical philosophy of our tradition of Soto Zen. Uh, but this is about what's, what's the space of practice on your seat, in your room, in our Zendo. How do we make this space? How do we not uh, separate from the skin bag here and now? The fundamental teaching, the fundamental teacher is present. Whether, whether a particular uh, Zendo perishes or not, it's changed in our conventional world. In the longer Zendos we've occupied before. But the fundamental teaching is present. So that's a little bit of the song of the grass hut. Uh, I wanted to add something. Another, another, just a short dialogue by Chateau Kishan, 
Sekito Kisan, who wrote the Song of the Grass Hut in the eighth century. So, you know, one of the things about about Zen is that we have this wide view of time. I think it's really helpful not to be stuck in thinking about quarterly profit margins or just the next next election cycle, but to see a wide range of time and space. And so we have teachers that we quote from the eighth century and from the ninth century and from the thirteenth century and even back in the twentieth century. Um, anyway. Shinto once was asked by one of the students, what is the essential meaning of Buddha Dharma? <laughs> Great question. Usually it's not asked so boldly. <laughs> Sometimes they ask things like, why did the book, why did Bodhidharma come from the West to China? Uh, there's lots of ways of asking this question. Anyway, somebody asked Shinto, what is the essential meaning of Buddha Dharma? And Shitta said, not to attain, not to know. That's really deep. Not to get a hold, not to not to get not to get something, not to acquire something. It's difficult for us in our you know uh, commodity society where we're taught from an early age to try and get all the things on the TV commercials or whatever. Not to attain, not to acquire, and not to know. And we're also trained to, you know, get through each grade and the college and, you know, to know stuff. Now, it's okay if something comes around and you, and you uh, get a hold of it. You know, it's okay that we have, you know, nice Buddhas and stuff. And, but, uh, and it's okay if you, if you have knowledge. And, but the point is, how do you use the knowledge for all beings and yourself? For awakening. So uh, that, that's just the first line of the story. She said, not to attain, not to know. Uh, the student, who was pretty persistent, said, oh, beyond that, is there any other pivotal point or not? <laughs> Very impertinent student. <laughs> said, I love this, the wide sky does not obstruct the white clouds drifting. The wide sky does not obstruct the white clouds drifting. Did you say wise guy? The wise guy? No, I didn't say wise guy. I said wide sky. Oh, the wide sky. Sorry, did everybody get that now? It's not the wise guys. It's the wide sky <laughs> does not obstruct the white clouds drifting. This is a meditation instruction. This fundamental teaching, this original master. Is not doesn't obstruct the um, the clouds of thoughts and feelings and sensations that are drifting by, and they don't obstruct the wide sky either. The sky doesn't doesn't bother by our thoughts and feelings. Wide wide sky does not obstruct the white clouds drifting. Maybe. You know, if you think of Buddha as a, a wise guy, <laughs> he doesn't obstruct the white clouds drifting either. Okay, so that's the story. That's the whole story. And, you know, there's this not to attain, not to know, and then the wide sky does not obstruct the white clouds drifting by. And then this is uh, quoted in Dogen's extensive record later this coming month 
uh, Saturday, I forget the date, it's in our, it's on our schedule. I'm going to be doing a, an afternoon seminar on Dogen's extensive record. Dogen was the, was the wise guy who brought from China to Japan all of this, this, uh, tradition of wisdom and practice, um, and in the 13th century. And he, one of his huge compendium of texts is Dogen's extensive record, which I translated into Sherlock Okamura. I'll be doing a seminar on that in, in October. But this is just one little piece from it. A lot, it's got lots of little, little things. Anyway, um, Dogen says about this dialogue, not to attain, not to know, is Buddha's essential meaning. The wind blows into the depths, and more winds blow. So wind is an image for the teaching, the culture, and the awareness of awakening. And further winds blow. So this is about Buddha going beyond Buddha, which is something Dogen talks about all the time. It's not enough to just become Buddha. You have to keep practicing, and keep reawakening. Buddha just means awaken one. So we reawaken and then we continue to awaken. So Dogen said, um, the wind blows into the depths and further winds blow. The wide sky does not obstruct the white clouds drifting. And then Dogen says, at this time, why do you take the trouble to ask Shita? While this is going on, why bother asking about such things? Um, we're asking the teacher. Um, so I want to stop and have time for discussion or questions. Uh, but I, you know, my first teacher instructed me to ask this question when I moved to San Francisco Center, and I got a couple of interesting answers. But uh, I'm going to stop for now. Uh, so, comments, questions, responses, people here in the room or people online, Bo, you can help me see that. And uh, please uh, keep your response or question or statement uh, somewhat brief. Please give time for other people to, to uh, ask questions. So, thank you. Comments, questions. The bell had a question. And I'll say the bell. <laughs> yes, Jen. Um, it, it, it seems to me that this Dharma talk came up this week. Um, something happened to me 82 years ago that I've never forgotten, and it has come up to my mind periodically. I was in nursery school, and there was a little girl in the nursery school with me, and we were having art. And she started painting circles on her piece of paper. As far as I know, I didn't have any ideas. I didn't have any idea what to do. Uh, with this piece of paper and things, you know, except mess around with my fingers. But she, and I looked at that and I thought, that looks terrible. And, and I said, do you think that's, do you think that's beautiful? And she said, yes, I do. And this has puzzled me 
all this time. And so the other day I didn't take my car because I didn't want to lose my parking place, so I took the bus to an errand. And I was standing waiting for the bus, and there was a, a there was a light rain and a gutter puddle where I was standing. And I was looking at that gutter puddle, and the raindrops were falling in it, and each of them formed a circle, and then another one would fall, and it would be a littler circle because the other one had expanded and disappeared. And as I was looking at this, with the raindrops falling in the puddle, and the circles getting bigger, and then little circles, and the circles disappearing, I thought, that must have been what she saw. And I just, I feel so good about having finally resolved this problem. <laughs> <laughs> that, this, this is koan practice. This is exactly what Zen talks about. Something happens, maybe somebody says something, maybe you see a circle and don't recognize that it's full moon or that it's whatever. And 82 years, you said, you've been struggling with this yeah, koan? I, I mean, yes. Great. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Jen, for sharing that with us. And, uh, yeah, sometimes it takes a while <laughs> to realize something. But, I, but, but congratulations. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Thank you. Anybody else have any? Asian uh, has a, her hand up. Oh, good. Asian. Um, thank you for the talk, Tegan. I, I had a similar phenomenon happen just now as you were talking, um, which was I have heard that instruction about, you know, tracing your thoughts back to the source. And it always seemed so esoteric to me and so, like something that I, I just couldn't do, you know, like because and because that was because I had a concept about what that was. Like I thought I was going to get to some, you know, vast source of emptiness. And um, but but my concept was really faulty because what I realized when you were talking is that I often do in Zazen sort of trace a thought back to the source. And what I realized is the thought actually is triggered by something, um, you know, maybe inside me, but maybe outside me. It's like, it's like, I, you know, how much I love to get um, songs stuck in my head and then trace them back. And I realized that like, yeah, you know, that uh, uh, an acorn fell off a tree and it made me think of, you know, some song. And I think maybe that's it. It's, it's that um, it's the interconnection that, that, that I'm actually tracing the, the thoughts back to the interconnection. And, and it just made me kind of realize that, you know, all this stuff is just, it's just swirling around through the universe and it, it kind of passes through and, um, you know, and then it's gone. And, and actually even, you know, something inspired the person who wrote the song to write it. You know, and so, yeah, just that, that, I, I really appreciated the opportunity to kind of see that today. Yeah, like a nursery school circle. Or when you started talking about that, about the acorn, suddenly I heard raindrops keep falling on my head. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so now that song going to be stuck in, maybe. Um, thank you. Yeah. Other comments? 
responses, questions, anybody, please go for it. Um, I mean, I'm just following. Uh, remind, right? remind me your name again. Vicky. 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 Yes. Oh, oh, hi. 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 Nice to be here, everyone. Yes. So I'm just following the thread, and it takes me back to, um, first of all, I was looking at this first line that keeps striking me. I've built a grass hut where there's nothing of value. It's so interesting that that's where we're starting. And then the thread that came through here is, in my early 20s, being at a lake with friends and kind of having a celebratory weekend and uh, seeing some adults out in their donut-shaped inner tubes. And I had what I called at that time an epiphany, but it was just like when I, um, when I, the scene just struck me so strongly that I didn't really have any, um, really I knew nothing like I really had no idea what's going on and even just adults floating in the lake in these donut shaped inner tubes was somehow everything that's the only way I can express it but in a, this line that keeps standing out I built a grass hut where there's nothing of value somehow in that moment this this scene which I would have maybe at the moment in some ways said was nothing of value, suddenly, absurdly, became, you know, it held everything. Everything, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yes, in, 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 what does he say, um, the entire, you know, the entire world is present anyway, yes. Uh, yeah. Those, we have those experiences like that can point us towards this. Whether it's somebody, whether it's raindrops in a gutter or somebody drawing a circle. At, when I was, I you said you were 20? Yeah. I was four years old sitting, out, sitting by a lake in New Hampshire, as it happens, and had what I now recognize was a great Samadhi experience. I was just sitting there and the lake was beautiful. And it was Dust and, and, I, and I just you know, pine needles on the ground in front of me, right next to the lake, and it was just all luminous. And I, and I, I remembered it many years later when I visited Zazakura. I think those things happen. Other people have these experiences, uh, and um, yeah, it happens. So th thank you for sharing that. Uh, other people who haven't spoken, uh, other questions, experiences, uh, uh, comments, responses to this grass hut. And, oh, and just, Nikki, the line you focused on, where there's nothing of value, of course, <laughs> this is, so the word value is interesting because there's the usual worldly value of things based on you know, dollar signs or whatever. And and then there's what's really of value, which is seeing people on energy challenge.
mentioned this question that with Brigitte was asked. Um, I've, I've, met, I've told the story before, but what is the essential meaning of Buddha Dharma? My first teacher who was a Japanese Soto priest in New York. I was going to move, I was getting ready to move to San Francisco for family reasons. But I knew about the San Francisco Zen Center Suki Roshi was gone, but Big Roshi was the teacher. And uh, the genius sensei said to me, when you get there, ask the teacher, what is the essential meaning of food garden? <laughs> so, I, so I got there, and I didn't get to see Baker Roshi for a long time. Uh, but, I, but I started uh, practicing with Tension Rev Anderson, who is my teacher, um, and uh, so I asked him first, and his answer was, don't you already know? <laughs> we already know. The original master is present. His fundamental teaching is, is, is everywhere all the time. Everywhere all the time, all at once, once anyway. Um, so, um, later on, I got to ask Vega uh, Roshi, what, what is the fundamental teaching of Buddhism? Fundamental teaching of Buddhism is, there's no Buddhism. This is another good answer. Anyway, does anybody have any other answers about that? <laughs> or questions? Or comments? Tyan, yes. how would you answer that now? After all these years of practice, I don't know. <laughs> so I'll ask you. Where is the space that there's room for everything? Yes, here is the space where there's room for everything. Thank you. I think Asian has her hand up. Okay, Asian. Um, this is a little bit of an aside, but if we're, if I have a moment to share, um, at the last camping session when we talked about the song of the grass hut, Jerry uh, alerted me to the fact that there is an episode of Star Trek where the Enterprise encounters. Um, some, you know, more advanced life form out there in the universe. And they're, pardon? There are many of them. Yeah, well, and, and they're trying to communicate with us. And, and what they say to the, the crew is, hello, big, ugly sacks of mostly water. Skin bag here and now. So yeah, so so when you think about not wanting to be a skin bag, um, you could try to look for the uh, Star Trek episode. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, Chad, go ahead. Uh, Maybe people read Victor Frankl for when he was running away from the Nazis. And uh, he was in a forest running away by himself, and he sat down, and there was a beam of light that illuminated a little plant that was by him. 
and he had this kind of an experience. That, and then another one that I read was, you know, your basic Zek in a in a Russian prison. He went out to take a pee, and all of a sudden the world was just illuminated for him, and he was actually not getting enough to eat, and was enslaved in a, a camp, and yet this appreciation or this love of life suddenly flooded over him. Yeah, it's always here, and now, and sometimes we get the books. Eve. Well, so, yeah, I want to ask about, I, I mean, I like that last line. Um, the last two lines. Yeah. So, yeah. So that don't separate from the skin bag here and now. Um, but, and so that's about appreciating the value of life and the sentient. Mm -hmm. And yeah, appreciation. But sometimes, even if we're not appreciating it, still don't separate from it, even from the difficulties or the ugliness of big, ugly sacks of water <laughs> or, or aches and pains of whatever. Yeah, right. Carbon units. <laughs> yeah. Good.